0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Hi, friends. This episode of Big Blue Banter is brought to you by Prize Picks. Head on over to Prize Picks and use promo code BANTER, and they'll match up to $100 on a new deposit. Thank you and enjoy.
2: Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined, as always, by my co-host Nick Pilato, still here in Florida. So no mic set up, no mixer. So just deal with the bad sound for a little while. I listen back. It doesn't sound as good on the computer. But we're here. We're doing another mailbag. We're breaking this up into parts, discussing different topics on each one. So without further ado, Nick, let's just get right to it. Let's just talk mailbag questions. And we're going to start here with Lou, who asks, it's almost St. Patty's Day. Are you guys fans of Rubens? I love them when them done right. A buddy of mine even does a Rubin pizza, which is just young. Do you still believe? And second part, do you still believe in Brian Dable and Joe Shane? Dable scares me with all the stuff that came out this year. All right, Nick, what what are your thoughts on all that?
1: So we'll start with the Rubens. I actually don't mind it. What is is that pastrami? Is that the meat that's used for Rubens? That's no, corn
2: beef usually. It's corned
1: beef. On it's corned beef okay, corn yeah. beef, and then there's like coleslaw and like Russian dressing and a bunch of stuff. Mm. Like, once a year, I, I can indulge in it. But you know me, I, I don't really indulge too much in, in in those types of foods. And as for uh, Shane and Dable, look, it's not as inspiring as it was after year one. And that shouldn't be a surprise because guess what? They sucked in year two. I still remain, I, I still remain optimistic uh, about Shane more specifically. Dable, look, I think he's going to have a challenge because of this whole Wink-Martindale situation. And I don't know how the defensive players view their head coach and uh, I could be overanalyzing that, but you know what? Your team took a significant step back from your successful year one, and now you're going into year three after a shitty year two. We have to see how it how Dable can respond and how Shane Bowen ingratiates himself in as the coach now with these players who I don't know how many of them had strong feelings of affection towards Wink Martindale that could plague the locker room, but I still remain optimistic because I know he can coach and I know he understands the X's and O's and I know he has a progressive mind as a coach and those things, those things lead me to, uh, to believe in him, Dan, I just, uh, I just hope that his personality doesn't get in the way.
2: Yeah, so I'll I'll answer these in two parts. First of all, I do like Rubens. Rubens are good, though I will say this as far as the Rubens go, like I'll take a New Jersey and these are only you can only find these really in New Jersey delis. I think it's the first one started at Town Hall Deli in South Orange, but I'll take a new and you can get them now at like Milburn Deli that there's a couple new locations of that pretty solid spot a little overrated in my mind, but good. and I'll take a sloppy Joe, a New Jersey version of sloppy Joe over a room in any day. Uh, same concept, similar concept. We're not talking about like the sloppy Joe's your mom used to make you, or you got in the cafeteria with like the ground beef. These are like triple decker sandwiches. You got pastrami. I do the pastrami and Turkey, coleslaw on each side of the sandwich, also Ruben uh, Russian dressing. And that's a, that's a hell of a sandwich. So I'll take that over Ruben, but Rubens are good too. open face. Typically. Um, I think they also have a cheese on them in Ruben that, and then I think that actually the sloppy Joe's have a cheese too, a Swiss, I believe. Um, I'm not exactly sure what a Ruben has, but I, but I like a good Ruben. A good Ruben is always good. And I do indulge in all of these things. So, um, as far as Joe Shane and Brian Dable go, I'll, I'll answer them in each part. I'll start with Brian Dable. Um, look, there were some decisions he made in year one where the Giants won games that I thought helped them win football games, specifically the decision week one against the Titans to go for two. That was a, that was a decision that was aggressive and it worked out. There are also some decisions even in year one that I thought were not great and not optimal decisions. Uh, ultimately, some didn't matter. The Giants ended up winning some of those games. Some didn't matter. Um, and the Giants ended up losing close games. Then in year two, those in-game decisions seemed to be all working out against the Giants. And very few i thought led to wins in year two i thought year two the games they did win which weren't many last year um only really against the really bad teams twice against washington once against new england then a, a win against green bay um and then a couple others down the stretch and i'm forgetting or one other down the stretch i'm forgetting but you know those wins i didn't feel like were more dable so i still have a lot of confidence Dable as a play caller a play designer a route developer working with quarterbacks understanding how to get the most out of quarterbacks and ultimately, you know me, you guys who listen to this know, long enough know me, all I really care about is quarterback. I think once you get quarterback, everything falls into place. I had a good discussion about Eli and, you know, the really bad back end to Jerry Reese's tenure as GM. He really screwed up every draft, didn't do well in free agency. And having Eli gave us a chance every year at nine wins because he's so good pre-snap and he still had the arm talent. Um So I just, you know, I still think for the thing that's most important, developing a quarterback and then developing good route combos and good play calls and signs to unlock that quarterback. He's still the guy, Dable. So I've kept the confidence there. As far as Joe Shane goes, Nick, I believe that his process has been great the entire time. So I'm a fan of his process. I'm typically a process over results type of person, but I have to admit and acknowledge two major possible flaws on his tenure. The first being Evan Neal, the draft pick. Now I have trouble getting too worked up about that pick because look, a lot of great evaluators that Evan Neal is a locked top blue chip in that class. Me and Nick love the pick. Uh, The Cowboys had him number one overall on their big board and they've developed and drafted offensive linemen better than basically any team in the NFL right now besides the Eagles. So it's like, sometimes the pick is more on the player. Like, is this on the player? He's been injured a lot. Evan Neal. Is he working hard? Like it's sometimes you don't know, but it's also possible that, you know, him not working out the combine. I know you mentioned this, Nick, really didn't show us some of that functional athleticism that we need to translate to the NFL at the tackle position. He might not have it. And we we didn't put
1: enough weight into that, Dan. We did. not And and you can go back to the 20 to the 2022 draft. And and we were, we kind of excused it like, Oh yeah, well, we know he's athletic. Yeah, of course he's athletic. Well, now we're starting to have some athletic questions about Evan Neal. And I think him foregoing the combine was deliberate by him and his agent to not test because he wasn't going to test as well as a lot of the other top tackles were going to test.
2: And if that's the case, it's easy for there to be a blind spot in scouting for the Giants, for the Cowboys who had him number one on their big board, all these teams who had good grades, and us who are just watching the Bama take. Because I've said this before, and I'll say it again every time we go through draft season. What he does on tape at Bama does not translate one-to-one with what he does in the NFL. This goes across the board for every single position at the college level. It's a different game. There's a huge jump. Even playing at the best of the best level in the SEC, it's still a huge jump to the NFL. So that's the one. And then the two, the second thing is extending Daniel Jones instead of franchise tagging. him. That is potentially a big black mark on his, on his thing. Now, I personally still will always just in back of my head be like, and did he really have a choice or say there? Was he really able to be like, hey, John, I'm going to really get bold here and just tag Jones or let him, they can let him go, but I'll just tag Jones. Like, I don't know, because if you tag Jones, then you couldn't have signed Bobby O'Karaquet. There would be no cap space for it. You couldn't have re-signed or tag, you couldn't have tagged Saquon Barkley You going only use the tag on one player. So you lose both of those two things. You can't build, you couldn't trade for Darren Waller and take on that dead cap hit, or I'm sorry, that cap hit. And, You know that some of these didn't work out obviously, but the Jones contract and, and the Waller trade at least not yet. But they were still plays to make the team try to, you know, try to help the team be better than they were in 2022 when they won a playoff game, try to take them to that next level, which a lot of fans wanted. Um, they were maybe short term decisions, maybe, but I don't know how much of a say you really had over the Jones thing. I, it's just hard to know. But those are the two things that scare me most, I would say, about Chain and their. Not they don't overweigh for me, Nick the 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 process, which I think has been excellent from trading back, from trading up, from you know positional value, overemphasizing that in the drafts. Just the just the things he does that are so different than the last GM.
1: Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, that's what I'm going on to is more so the process, and it's easy to excuse the Daniel Jones contract away because of all of those other variables you just discussed. But at the end of the day, he's the one who signed it. He's the sure. one who gave it, and now we're living in a world where Daniel Jones is making that much money as the giant starting quarterback. And he has a torn ACL, which is
2: really unfortunate. All right. About that, Nick. The one thing I will say is what's crazy about that is there's a good chance. We see a resigning this off season, uh, Baker Mayfield with the Bucks, and that contract, despite it being a year into the future where every contract should be more expensive because the cap keeps going up might ultimately end up being a smaller contract than Jones's. And that's I when think, it starts no. to get like, now you're having like,
1: trouble. Okay, this is yeah, that, this is how the NFL works, right? I think a lot of teams are going to talk to agents and be like that Daniel Jones contract. Look, that's going to be like the mountaintop for the mediocre quarterbacks. The mountaintop of the mediocre quarterback contract is now going to be Daniel Jones's contract and all 31 other teams are going to tell their agents and, the, and their quarterbacks if they're not top echelon, you're not getting more than what Daniel Jones made. Right. But then some of the quarterbacks who actually have leverage are going to use a Daniel Jones contract and be like, look, the Giants gave Daniel Jones this. We deserve this. So it's funny now that that contract is going to be looked at differently from different uh, people in different situations all around the league. And that's not a good reflection on the New York Giants.
2: No, it's not. But the same thing happened with the Deshaun Watson contract. Like they came back to Lamar's agent or who I think Lamar was representing himself. They came back and said, look, this Deshaun fully guaranteed deal didn't work out. We're not doing it again, and that's going to be similar, I think, to what happens with the Jones deal. With guys like Baker Mayfield, they're going to be like, "Look, we're not going to be able to pay you know forty million plus a year for someone who has not really fully proven himself." You need to we need to lower that back down. See what happened with Jones, and so it's interesting. But I, I just if those contracts for guys like Baker are, are less than Jones, it just it, it can't reflect well for Shane. It's just the only way to objectively look at it.
1: Joey Vags asks, late round quarterbacks like the kid from Tulane, anyone pique your interest? The kid from Tulane's interesting, Dan. Yes. I ended up watching uh, Jaquan Jackson. I think his name is. He's a wide receiver from Tulane and Pratt, Michael Pratt, I believe his name is kept jumping out just because he makes all of the throws type of thing, right? Like he's making the throws from hmm. the far hash and yes. uh, he he's not mobile, but he's not uh statue either is somebody like in the red zone who will be deceptive and run for a couple touchdowns out there so that was one player but i wanted to if you want to expound on him please do but i also wanted to know this is somebody we've talked about joe milton the guy from tennessee Mm -hmm. look i know this guy can't complete a pass to the flat but he has all of those traits that we talk about and is that somebody that's you know round four round five whatever like just roll the freaking dice on get him in with dable and see if you can get anything out of him type of player.
2: Possibly. I have my reservations about Milton. I really don't love his mechanics. Though, again, it's like you can see that he can retool those potentially, just like Josh Allen did with Brian Dable. Like, if you look at Josh Allen tape at Wyoming, you'd be like, how the hell is he the player he is now based on the film that you saw at Wyoming? So it's possible Joe Milton can undergo something similar. It's definitely intriguing from that standpoint. As far as Michael Pratt goes, I've seen one game so far of Pratt. I did kind of like it. He's interesting. I do feel like watching Pratt, though, I'm getting like some Clayton Toon vibes. That I got from last year watching tune who i got a little bit tiny excited about as a late round guy i think pratt's release is better than tunes i felt like he had a nice quick compact release which i did enjoy watching um but arm talent wise i'm not he can make all the throws i just feel like at the nfl level is the processing going to be quick enough i'm not so sure watching Tulane, lane it feels like there's just a lot of open space against the teams they play Um, that's kind of what I mean more about the tune thing. It's like when you watch tune play in that conference, whatever Houston played in, it just felt like there was a lot of open space in the field, some created by tank Dell, which really helped to have a tank Dell on your receiver. I don't think, um, you know, so. I'm interested in Pratt. He's intriguing. I have to watch more. There's going to be other guys, Milton, Pratt, that Nick keep our eye on as we get closer. But I'm typically not the guy that really loves those like day three type projects. I kind of like more the day two projects. So someone I'm really excited to watch eventually, Nick, is Spencer Rattler because He's a player who I think it's, for me, mostly it's just been mental, hasn't been there most of his collegiate career in his life. But I've heard and read good things that he's like a refocused human being and he's changed his way. And if he does, if he is able to get that side of it down, the arm talent's certainly there. He has mobility. So I'm somewhat intrigued by a player like Spencer Rattler coming into a system like Brian Dables, like an explosive downfield thrower like him. So that's somebody who I'm definitely going to be looking at as we get closer, if they can potentially get him on day two at some point, if they like him.
1: Spencer Rattler, I, I'm wondering where he's going to even go in this draft, yeah. right? Just probably somewhere on
2: somewhere day two, two I maybe. Think.
1: Maybe round, I would maybe think I round
2: three. I would think round three. Like, when did Hooker go? Was Hooker round two or three? I'm not sure. It was
1: around that, like, flip. Time. I thought lines took him round three. There yeah, round got, three. It's, a, it's whatever. But yeah. Edwin Gommers asks, the comments that keep popping up are the Giants should have drafted X guy, McAdoo wanted Mahomes, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Even if the Giants would have done that, do you think the team had the capabilities to develop those players into the same players they currently are? I love this question, specifically pertaining to Patrick Mahomes. I don't know if if the Giants had the um had the requisite infrastructure to maximize Patrick Mahomes. Let's say that Patrick Mahomes is maximized right now. You can't really get much higher, right? But I still think the Giants would have been like, "Yo, we got a dude. We got a freaking dude," and it would have been it would have transcended. The entire landscape of what the New York Giants are and and yeah. the entire team and everything would be so much different right now if the Giants had Patrick Mahomes. Would he be Andy Reid's version of Patrick Mahomes? I don't know. Would the Giants have won several Super Bowls up until this point? I'm not 100% sure about that. But I'll tell you something. We would have our damn quarterback. I don't think Patrick Mahomes was going to right. uh, flare out. I think there was way too much talent there. You just needed everything around it to kind of gel and come together. And Andy Reid landing a guy like Patrick Mahomes, that was like the perfect situation for Patrick Mahomes.
2: Yeah, it would have been very interesting because he would have been in a Ben McAdoo system had McAdoo made the trade up for him. And that's a very, it's the, its just think about it like the Mike McCarthy system that Dak's running this past year. It's a very different system than the Andy Reid system, but I think it's one that Mahomes could also do really good in. Um, obviously Dak Prescott found a lot of success last year in it. and. You know i think ultimately it might be a scenario where the giants wouldn't have won, won as many super bowls as the chiefs that he wouldn't be the best version i think this read system's better for him but he still would have made some big i don't think he would have failed basically is where, where i'm at with this um especially if you had mcadoo early years helping him develop because i yeah th- you can say what you want about mcadoo i don't think he's a good play caller or coach or anything like that head coach but he is good quarterback developer. He worked with Aaron Rodgers, did a great job, and he really helped Eli at the end of Eli's career. He changed everything about the way Eli takes the shotgun drop with the right, with the way his footwork is. And at the time that he came in, 2014, Eli was going on a downward slope. Then he had that really good resurgence from 2014 through 20. 20- Fifteen, essentially, with McAdoo. Obviously, it fell off at the end with Eli. I think age played a factor for Eli. I think the amount of hits, the battle line play, the receivers going downhill. Besides Beckham, like all those factors played in the defense. But yeah, but he did help develop him at first. So I think McAdoo would have been a good teacher early on for Mahomes, and he needed that. Mahomes was a raw prospect coming out. People seem to forget that now. But the last thing about the reason I think Mahomes would would work, and I'll end it here, is. The reason Mahomes is so good right now is not just the things you see, the natural talent. It's that he's actually one of the best processors in the NFL. And you can read about it. You can watch it on tape. You can hear his coaches talk about it. It's a natural innate ability that Mahomes has to process the field post snap, to understand where space is, and to tend to deliver the ball on time. And that's something that would transcend and carry over any team that
1: drafted him. And he sounds like Kermit the Frog, too, which is funny. Ed Halinsky asks, How much of the Giants roster should be sliced and diced to get ready for next season? Hmm. I don't really know how much slicing and dicing the Giants are going to do. I think it's more just kind of don't resign the players who are going to be free agents. Take your medicine right now so you can cut Daniel Jones's contract at the end of this season in 2025 and then look to rebuild from there while also possessing the talented players that they already have on this roster. And I just hope they focus on development, develop the players that do have talent and do have potential, but for whatever reason, this coaching staff hasn't unlocked anything from the Josh Azudu's of the world and the players like that. So I don't really know what other cuts you can make is, is there any that, that really come to your mind? Well,
2: the, they don't come to my mind as something I would do, and I'll explain why after that.
0: But okay. they come
2: to my mind as things that have been discussed. People have discussed cutting Darius Slayton. People have discussed cutting Darren Waller. Both would free up. I think it, I think I read it was believed, uh, or I could look it up after, but it's somewhere around 13 million in cap space while taking on some dead cap it for both. But I'm not in that position right now. The Giants have about 50 million in cap space even before this. They have no real reason to create cap space in my opinion right now they're not pushing for a super bowl going into 2024 so i don't really see the point of creating more cap space i would rather keep these guys on the roster not take on dead cap it that could push over to 2025 if they structure it a certain way and just like nick said eat your medicine i don't see any real reason right now to slice and dice the roster to create cap space they're not in any kind of push for a super bowl right now so to me I'm okay unless they don't believe these guys you know are part of the future now some people would argue the other side of it i know like you know the wills of the world like some people i talked to about the giants who are have a good understanding of salary capital, would be like you know if there's no future with slayton on the raw star or and we don't really care about 2024 why not just cut them now because they're not going to be a part of the future and i can understand that point of view as well but my whole thought process on it is if the giants are fortunate enough to get a quarterback prospect that they like and want to develop in this draft more than likely, in my opinion, he's going to play in 2024 at some point. And if he plays in twenty four at some point, I want him to have Waller. I want him to have Darius Slayton. So, like, that's how I stand on it.
1: Look, Joe Shane in the front office, they can purposely not make moves in not an effort to lose, but just kind of acknowledging the reality of the situation. The giants might not be that good, but coaching on the football field, true. They're going to be wanting to win the football game. It's not like Brian Dable is going to be like, well, I hope we suck this year because he's going to be fired if they suck this year. So if Brian Dable, if they're like, yo, you know what? We're going to actually cut Darren Waller and your tight end room now is Daniel Bellinger. And maybe we could find a guy like Tommy Sweeney for you. Brian Dable is going to be like the hell you are. Like, that's the situation you're putting me through. Like there'd be such right. a disconnect between the coaching staff, specifically Brian Dable and Joe Shane at that point. And we know these guys are in Step. So I don't envision that necessarily happening.
2: True. All right. Nick uh, Jamal Hashbrown asks Great name. Jamal Hashbrown asks What was so much talent at tackle in the draft and Evan Neal struggles playing, staying healthy? Can the Giants really afford to leave the top two rounds of the draft? Remember, they have three picks in the first two rounds because mm-hmm. they traded for the Seattle pick without a tackle.
1: I think they could afford to, but do you want to? Like if, if the, your best player on the board is a tackle. Make that selection if you want to bring him in, especially if the guy does have some versatility to him and you can move him around and you can just figure it out and get your best five guys out there for Carmen Brasillo to, to work with. I don't know if, like, like again, I don't think I don't think there's a, a chance, or they just definitely shouldn't go into 2024. Like Evan Neal is penciled in as a starter. I think you can or pen ink him in as a starter. I think you can pencil him in as a starter. And then say, we hope that this development works. We give him a shot with Carmen Brasillo as his coach, but sure. we're going to find contingency plans in place by week three. If Evan Neal sucks, we can rely on some veteran or or what have you. And if it is a rookie if, pertaining to this question, if it is a rookie, that's excellent too, because this is such a deep class, but there are other positions the Giants need and say, if it's a cornerback or a wide receiver or what whatever it is, and your tat and the tackles just don't fall the correct way. I don't think you need to select the tackle with one of those first three picks. Yep.
2: Yeah, it's interesting, Nick, because it's like, so first of all, two years of Evan Neal's rookie contract are already in the books. And you could say it's a five-year contract because he was drafted in the first round, but it's not really because if he doesn't show signs of progress, the Giants are not going to pick up that fifth-year rookie option. He's simply not going to be worth $9 million. So two years are done. Now you're going into year three. And the idea would be that if you do draft a tackle with one of those first three picks in the top two rounds, you could potentially move Neil over to guard. We don't know if Neil will be a good guard. That's the hope. He's played some at, at Alabama. He was okay there. He was pretty good there. Um, but Again, it's college level. He was good at tackle at the college level too. And he hasn't translated that yet at the pro level. So that factors in, I think, the, the, the depth of that contract and how many years have already been accrued from that rookie deal. But I think if you do take a tackle with the first uh, one of your first three picks, you should probably take one, at least in my opinion, who has some potential guard ability. Like in case Neil does work out and get to that ceiling we hoped he could originally, you can play this new tackle at guard or, you know, you can at least have that ability option to play him there and and knock out two birds with one stone. But I will say this, Nick. This is one of the most unique, and I said this on Twitter before, this is one of the most unique tackle classes I've ever seen. And it's early, but if you take a look at Daniel Jeremiah, someone we both really respect as somebody who puts in the film work and is typically really good at this thing, if you take a look at his top 50, there's an insane amount of tackles in his top 20 overall. There's an insane amount of tackles in his top 50 overall. It's never close to this number. And some of these guys can play guard, too. We've seen a lot of these guys translate Tyler Smith, for example, from the uh, to, from the collegiate level to the NFL level at guard and play really well at guard. And so I always love the idea, Nick, of drafting into the strength of a class. So if the Giants are sitting at whatever it is, 39 or their second, second round pick or the Seahawks pick, I think it's 47. And a tackle is on the board and it's by far their best player overall. That's probably the player I want them to pick, especially if they think he has a chance to play guard if he, if they need him to.
1: Yeah. And there's some guys out there, man. Like just watching some really? of their tape, like just the way they move, like nothing's better than a 315 pound dancing yep. bear out there with just smooth feet. And anytime the edge rusher goes to adjust or throw a counter move, he just stays square. He's just center the entire time, just light on the balls of yep. his feet. up. got to love it, man.
2: All it's right. Crazy this
1: tackle class. So, yeah. Oh, exactly, dude. It's oh, so depressing. It's so depressing. I, I just feel like the Giants never... What, what have they had, like, sound tackles? Going back to what? The, the Super Bowl? Uh, I
2: guess, like, 11. The tackles were graded worse than the NFL in 2011. I guess 07, you would say. Deal and yes. McKenzie. McKenzie was amazing. I, deal was yeah. sound. Deal was sound. He was never elite, but he was sound, at least.
1: Deals the G, bro. Right. He's great. Yeah, I
2: mean, he played every game. He was, he was oh, above, well above average. I shouldn't say sound. Sound is probably you know, being unfair
1: toward him. Eli says, plan at quarterback (laughs) question. mark. Yeah. What is the plan at quarterback?
2: It's a plan that we don't know right now, to be completely honest. Uh, the plan as of now is Daniel Jones is your QB one. He's coming back. He's ahead of schedule. They hope, uh, from the ACL recovery, as far as the net goes, I, you know, I saw something interesting recently from Pat Leonard, Nick, I don't know if you saw this, but this is the first time I heard mention it from anyone on the beat. And I know no offense to him, but Pat Leonard is not really an uh, X's and O's guys. He's not, that's not, and that's not an offensive thing. No, I don't no, think not
1: really many people on the beat are.
2: Yeah. And I don't think he tra- tries to be or claims to be. And so he mentioned something about how, the, the Giants have some concerns about how Daniel Jones's throwing motion looked after he came back from the neck injury. That is something I a had never heard mentioned before. by the B, B I know it's not Leonard like watching the tape and being like, oh, I saw this. And that again, not a knock on him. That's something he's heard from one of his sources, like that. That ha- that that's a thing. Like that. There's some been some concerns about how he looked in that Raiders game after coming back from the neck injury. And I haven't watched that. It's something I want to go back and do. Maybe you and I can do it at some point, Nick. But obviously, like if you just look at it from a holistic view. He Had some awful throws in that game, just god-awful throws. The Barkley throw in the flat that he airmailed, the, the throw to Hyatt that did he airmailed, the throw to Hyatt that he hung up in the air, and Hyatt had to like just his whole body and catch it out of bounds. Those are three throws that like Jones doesn't typically miss like that. Specifically, the Barkley throws and the and the Hyatt overthrow. Like he just doesn't miss like that. That's not ball placement on those throws from those types of pockets, and he had good pockets on all of those, are typically not missed like that from Jones. That's never been his problem, scatter shot accuracy. So I don't know much about that what what Pat Leonard's re- referencing there but if the Giants do have real concern about his throwing motion with a neck injury after a second neck injury I don't think they're I think that that's when the the plan goes into boom hyper mode we need to we need to replace him but as of now I think the plan is Jones will be the QB1 uh with the 47 million or I think it's a 47 million dollar cap hit for next year uh QB3 will be DeVito the and then QB2 is where it gets open ended that's where it's interesting it's either somebody they draft or it's somebody they sign in free agency. But I will say this that's plan A, I think, for the Giants. Plan B is if they have an opportunity to get one of these three quarterbacks in the draft, they will take one of these three quarterbacks in the draft. Um, but that opportunity, I just don't see arising. And I don't think the Giants see that arising either, with Patriots
0: needing a quarterback and why. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: And quarterback. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? I'm excited for the football season for several reasons. And one of those reasons is Prize Picks, which is North America's largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform. And it's so simple to use. Instead of battling thousands of other players including professionals, sharks, and people who are going to exploit you, you pick more than or less than on 2-6 to six player stat projections and you just watch the winnings roll in. It's very simple to play and gives you a little extra skin. I've set my picks in less than 60 seconds. There are so many stats to choose from and the withdrawals of funds are easy and quick. Dan and I will be adding a segment to our show before every game where we pick our favorite stats, more or less yards or touchdowns, what have you, and we'll be discussing why from a scheme, matchup, and game theory perspective. I love their promotions and how easy their interface is to operate at prize picks. I may select more on tackles for a loss from Bobby Okereke or Kayvon Thibodeau next game. They also do other sports as well. It's a really cool experience. Please, join Dan and I in the fun of prize Picks. Go to prizepickscom slash banter and use code banter for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, go to prizepickscom slash banter and use code banter for a first deposit matchup to $100. You will not regret it. Oh, my friends, you know what time it is. You're hungry, you're starving, and you desperately need pizza. You should get the best pizza on the market. And that is, of course, Little Caesars. Make Little Caesars the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day. Order online during the Pizza Pizza pregame, all day on NFL game days, and even on Pro Bowl Sunday, and get ready for some football fun and cheesy delicious pizza. Choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza or pick the toppings you crave. Either way, you win. And speaking of winning, everyone scores with convenient delivery or our in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends and enjoy a few slices during the game. All right, here's a scenario that we I think we've touched on on a previous episode, but we didn't really dive into it. Just because this, this question asked by Eli, it's pertaining to the quarterback position. We know that Joe Shane and Brian Dable really liked a quarterback prospect who was selected with the fifth pick in the third round. That's where he was selected, named Hendon Hooker. The Detroit Lions, they seem to be really, you know, infatuated with Jared Goff. Jared Goff's getting the job done. Would we entertain a trade for a Hendon Hooker to back up? Daniel Jones. And I know this is kind of weird because you don't have the fifth year option. He's entering a second year now, presumably he's healthy. But if there was a connection that Dable really liked this guy, would you be open to trading? I don't know if it would take like a three and a four. I don't know if it would take one of the second round picks to do it, but is that something that we would entertain? Because there is connections there that we openly discussed last year on this podcast.
2: I would entertain anything past the second I wouldn't entertain either the second round picks just because like you said he's already wasted a year of the rookie contract and it's don't have the fifth year option that puts them on a time crunch there um so and then he has doesn't know the system yet he's coming in fresh like he's probably behind the eight ball Daniel Jones will probably start again for 2024 so now you have just two years left of the rookie contract for him to prove himself so to me that's not worth one of the twos but if there's if it's a day you know if today obviously if it's a two round fours or if it's like a three and maybe like a five or something like that I would entertain it, Nick, if they really liked him because it would give me some hope at the quarterback position. And we really liked his tape. Let's be honest. We watched that tape at Tennessee and we know that that system that he ran doesn't translate all the NFL. And I remember an NFL GM or a scout, I believe, like one of the guys quoted him saying, look, I like that Hendon Hooker played in that system at Tennessee because it means that he's so raw that we can just retool his brain to think and process defenses the way we want him to because he, he doesn't have to carry over anything he took away from the collegiate level. And, you know, if Shane and, and Dable have that kind of conviction on him, I feel good about it as well, then, because we really like the way he threw a football, man. Yeah, he's man. a natural thrower. His release is pretty. His deep ball was, in my opinion, the best in the class last year, basically. Maybe Bryce Young, but probably him. And maybe and now we can see it's definitely CJ Shroud. Um, but the way he throws the ball is just good at all at all NFL levels. But he really had a nice release and threw a really pretty ball. So and and he had athleticism, by the way, before the ACL, like he could run too, Nick. Like he would scramble for yards and he has yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. So he's it's also like- remembered.
1: Mo he's not, I wouldn't say like a mobile, but no. he can run, right? So like me, I'm definitely open to it. Like if it one was one more good,
2: thing, one more thing about Hooker Nick, because I, I know he's older. It. Yeah, he's 26 years old already. Yeah, I know. That's yeah, that's know. rough.
1: I don't know if it's, it's necessarily rough in yeah. age, right? Like if this is somebody that you think actually has potential, yeah, you'd prefer him to be a 23 year old, of course, but this is a guy now that you can insert into your system. If you actually do have that conviction and True. it's not like, Oh wow, he's going to retire at 31. This is more than likely a guy who can play well into his thirties. Right. And we see a lot of quarterbacks playing well into their late thirties. So yeah. I don't necessarily think there's That's a huge deal. It's not a great thing, but I don't think it's as big of a deal as it is with, say, other positions that really, uh, really rely heavily on athletic ability.
2: That's fair. And one final thing on this that that goes back to some of the stuff that you broke down and we broke down in our film reviews in the year. We saw some moments of Brian Dable using some concepts from the system that he ran in college and taking, taking a little bit from that. And those, and those concepts, you know, might not be foreign to a handed hooker. If he comes over, he could, it could maybe mesh really well with the way that Brian Dable sees the defense and understands like how to attack defenses vertically. It's interesting.
1: It is at casual NFL fan 23, also known as Rocky. He asks, Hey, Nick and Dan, love your draft work. Thank you. I remember last year, you guys were really high on the tight end class, and you turned out to be right. Is there a specific position group in this year's draft that could have a similar impact for multiple teams?
2: Yeah, I think you start with tackle. We just discussed this on a previous question, but this tackle class is absolutely freaking loaded in 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 an insane way. Um, the other and it's early, but the other one that I'm seeing is just very loaded is wide receiver. The wide receiver tends to be pretty loaded, but this one seems even better. Um, they maybe past years, but tackle is the one that really shoots to my mind first, Nick.
1: Yeah, tackle is the first one that comes to my mind as well. I think there's some solid cornerbacks and some solid edge rushers at the top of the draft. I haven't really mm-hmm. dove in too deep into the depth yet, so uh, I'll reserve a little bit of judgment. Uh, with those two s- specific positions, with those positions also, like. Tight end, I feel like you can step in as a rookie. And this is, isn't something that necessarily was was uh was something that was going on maybe like a decade ago or even less than a decade ago. But cornerback, when you step in as a rookie, you can be abused and it, it might look bad. Like first off, like there are there are times throughout the season where Deontay Banks got beat and it, it doesn't look all that great, right? But I right. think a lot of giant fans can come together and say like, look at the totality of the season. It's like Deontay Banks on the totality of the season was a good rookie cornerback, but not a lot of them are freaking sauce Gardner tight end position. Look, it was a good tight end class, but I, I just think like the cornerback position and the tackle position, there's, there's more opportunity for you to be exposed by getting beat and embarrassed really badly to where like the, the narrative about you being a good player in year one can just completely fall apart and crumble. Right you know what I'm saying? So Mm -hmm. a lot of this is like narrative speaking, but those are two position groups that come to my mind as like, Hey, they could be great. Whereas edge rusher, look, an edge rusher can be playing like five technique and just get absolutely ass freaking kicked and driven off the ball. No one even knows. It results in like a 40 yard touchdown, but only people who really watch the tape really know. But then, you know, third down, he comes up with a sack because the tackle uh, was confused by a possible blitz going through the B gap. And then everyone's like, Oh, wow. This edge rusher is great because he ended up getting the sack, but it's really like, it's, it, it doesn't hold as much weight as being good consistently down in and down out.
2: That's a great point, point. and I think you're spot on with that, Nick. And so, the, the, and 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 we'll we'll. This is a final note on this. We're going to have a better idea of what we feel are the strengths and weaknesses of this class as we get deeper into this draft class. So, this is a great question, but it's probably better for April or late March, to be honest with
1: you. Yeah. All right. Nick. So, El
2: seventy three asks. Oh, sorry, I'll, I'll ask this one. Do you think yeah. we are trending towards having one of the best RBBCs in the NFL?
1: <laughs> mm, I would love to have the best RBBC in the NFL. Now I don't know if it would be the best, to be honest. But uh, No, but I do
2: think we are trending towards a running back by committee. Like I think yeah. that's what Joe Shane yeah. and Brandon developed in Buffalo. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, who
1: who has like a really who what running back is just like a lone wolf out there? It's like Saquon oh, Barkley Bar- Saquon yeah. Barkley was the primary yeah. running back who was the lone wolf.
2: Caffrey. McCaffrey was basically and McCaffrey.
1: Th- there you go. Yeah. I would say McCaffrey a little bit more. Henry.
2: But no, no. Henry Spears played a lot.
1: I would say Spears played a lot. So that's my point mm-hmm. though. There's everyone's basically in a, in a timeshare, even freaking like Kamara was mm-hmm. split in time with whatever other idiot they would end up having mm-hmm. on their roster. Last year was Jamal Williams, who I have a lot of respect for. So he's not an idiot, but like, they would get like Tony Jones and these, and these yeah. random running backs and throw them in there. Right. So looking at it, I don't know if the Giants are going to have a better running back by committee than like Devon Achan and and Raheem Mostert. Right, right. You know, or Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet. Like there's a lot of really good ones throughout the NFL.
2: Yeah. All right. Luke Memory asks, based on the Chiefs Super Bowl win, what lessons do you take away for the Giants? Aside from obviously (laughs) needing an elite quarterback like Mahomes. I don't know. What would be your primary? Okay, let's hear it. So my primary takeaway is, Look at how the Chiefs built this roster out. And it's very aligned with how Nick and I believe NFL rosters should be built out. They bypassed wide receiver. They drafted some wide receivers in the middle rounds, but they bypassed paying for wide receiver, spending caps based on wide receiver, trading assets to get a wide receiver. And they built out the offensive line. They unloaded on the line in free agency. They unloaded on the line in the draft and hit on a few of those. And what happens? Well, they're, ever all year people are complaining the Chiefs have no receivers. The Chief receivers leave the NFL in drops. They're horrible. They can't do anything. They're never gonna win Super Bowl like this. What happens? They end up winning a Super Bowl ultimately because in the end, offensive line trumps skill positions. It always will. It always has. There's too many examples. And that's the exam- That's the takeaway I have. The Chiefs built this a certain way. Offensive line over skill position, prioritization wise. And ultimately it ended up working. And the one year where the offensive line got injured and collapsed for them, but they still had all their skill guys, Tyreek Hill, whoever else, they lost the Super Bowl to the Bucks and Tom Brady. So it just seems to me like, that's the lesson I take away. The Giants really need to get the line down first before the skill positions.
1: And on the defensive side, have a a capable, competent defensive coordinator with certain just star players and a nice just – Complement of, of uh, a bunch of good role players, like sound linebackers. Like they don't need stars, out, but they have good linebackers, right. right? And then you have Chris Jones and you have Lejarius Sneed, and those are two very and good cornerstones. And you have McDuffie. Like they they actually have a lot of like talent on the defense. a lot of talent
2: on that defense. On they've the been defense. loaded. That's the thing people haven't realized. Like even Kalafis yeah. is playing well for them. Like they they they've been drafting a lot of defense lately, and people and then and, that, and that's partially why they don't have so many receivers in the mix. There
1: wasn't there one from Wisconsin that you really
2: liked. Oh yeah, Leo Chanel what an amazing Super Bowl and has really been a great value pick for them. And we knew it. Everyone yeah. knew he was going to be a value pick. And I know. I he drops in the
1: to get you going.
2: <laughs> but they do also have one takeaway might be also the importance of corner because they have two. That's I thought that was the biggest reason in their playoff run, having Sneed and McDuffie playing at a high as high a level as they did. I mean, McDuffie totally shut down Debo in that game, just to a crazy extent.
1: It really, really was. Your old friend Steve Bob here. Looking back Steve, at 2017. Stevie Bob, I'm sorry. Yeah, I missed that eye. That eye is very skinny. Looking back at 2017 through 2021, it felt like every win was against a non-playoff team or a backup quarterback. Should we be encouraged that we beat Green Bay and Philadelphia, almost beat the Rams and the Bills? Season would have felt very different with eight wins. Have the Giants made progress? Um,
2: I mean... I don't really know if the Giants have made too much progress.
1: I, mean, I think it's difficult do. for them to make progress because they actually had like a really good season where they won a playoff game and they took right. a significant step back. Is it as bad as maybe as maybe um, it felt? Maybe there's an argument to say no because those were close losses, but ultimately they were still losses, and it was still a big setback from the previous year where they where they exceeded all of their expectations. Yeah.
2: And even in the previous year, they had some, they had, well, just one, but they had one defiant blowout win against the Colts. They, Even Because everyone always makes this argument. They almost beat the Bills. They almost beat the Jets, but weird things happen. Well, they almost lost to the Washington football team, but they had six turnovers. And they almost lost to the Patriots, but the Patriots missed a chip shot field at the end after Mac Jones turned the ball over like three times in the first half and almost single handed It's like their wins are almost losses, just as much as their losses are almost wins. So it's kind of where I'm at. As far as progress goes, Stevie, for me, it's defined by, will they be able to consistently develop, show on tape for more than four or five games in a row, a drop-back passing game? And without a drop back passing game, I see there is really no ceiling in the NFL as far as Super Bowls go. You need to have a drop back pass game. Giants haven't had a drop back passing game since really like a consistent drop back passing game since like 2015 at this point. So that's a long time to go without a drop back passing game. People could reference 2019, but you're wrong. 2019 all the passing stats came against the bad defense when they played the good defenses they threw for 130 to 170 yards that year a game and really struggled and epa was was bottom of the league bottom barrel across the board in all the games against good defense so i need to drop back passing game to feel like they've really made progress as a franchise personally
1: g fantasy at Geoquan asks are you guys content with Lari being the leader of the outside linebacker depth chart next season or do we need to bring in another proven guy boogie basham will go down as one of the worst giants pass yeah. rushers ever man poor boogie basham i swear that guy every time he was out there on tape i was just like i might have been playing with 10 players it seems like it was it was rough and, and i hate to say that but it just did not work out as we all hoped i would argue that ojalary right now isn't the the leader. I don't. Maybe you mean veteran, if that's what, if that's where you're going, because Kavon Thibodeau to me is by far and away the leader of the outside linebacker group. Now you can argue that that's not the best situation. I think Kavon's growing into himself. I think he's still a very young player who still has a lot of um, aspects of his game that can be improved. Yeah, I want the Giants. I want the Giants to add an edge rusher, though. I was going want- to say. Yeah. yeah sorry. Exactly. Sorry that we're talking over each other but uh, I want I want a veteran edge too. Like I would like a veteran good edge depth player. It's just who's going to be available that can be added to this team who who fits that <coughs> bill. Honestly, Danico Autry coming from Shane Bowen's defense. I don't know if the Giants can afford him and he's like 35 years old, but holy crap man, just watching Shane Bowen's defense over the last couple of weeks, I'm like this guy could still really play and I think he could help out the young guys on this defense. So that's somebody that, that that's a name that I'm circling and I hope the Giants will investigate.
2: Agreed. And Nick, you've been pushing for an edge being a much greater position of need and us need to upgrade it for a while now. And I think you're right on that. I think edge is a massive need. So to answer the question, no, I'm not with i would agree with nick it's cave as the leader because not because it's cave because i need more and i want more and i'm not more so not content with ogilari being counted on right now as an every down player because he hasn't proven that at this point in his career due to injuries and also due to the due to some bad tape setting the edge against the run that's straight up the the facts there so it's definitely a big need for me whether it be via the free agent market or with one of those first three draft picks on day one and two I don't know, but I do kind of agree with you, Nick. I kind of rather just be, get a really bona fide, you know, free agent uh, that can lock it down for years there. All right. T Shaber asked Dan and Nick, and this is hold 10 for the big guy, watching the homes dominance in the super bowl. What is the argument for Mara and for the Mara family continuing to invest the future of the franchise and Daniel Jones is the goal to win a super bowl or is it selling tickets either way? I don't believe Jones is the guy.
1: Yeah, I don't really. Um, I-, I think John Mara, I think John Mara really did feel like the Giants failed Daniel Jones and they wanted to, and they really liked Daniel Jones. And honestly, John Mara is not necessarily fully wrong there. But what John Mara maybe failed to um, acknowledge is that Daniel Jones wasn't persevering through the failures that the Giants surrounded him around because Daniel Jones isn't special. And I think that's where we're at right now is that this guy needs everything perfect around him in order to really have the consistent level of success that every NFL franchise should be demanding from their NFL team.
2: Yeah. I think the, to answer the question, um, what would be the argument for it's twofold. The first part of the argument is that you know, it's straight up facts. Daniel Jones has not had a good offensive line his entire career. The Giants have given him some of the worst offensive lines at some points, you know, arguably worse than even what Eli had at the end, especially this past year. Um, so he's given bad offensive lines his entire career. He really hasn't been given a wide receiver one at any point his entire career. He's been given some interesting receivers that I think are pretty good towns. but nowhere close to wide receiver one, right? So he hasn't had that. He hasn't had that. Defensively, the Giants have been up and down. They've had some good moments. I think obviously 2022 was a good defensive season. 2023 was a pretty good defensive season at times, especially considering how often they are on the field because the offense was so bad. But it hasn't been like an elite unit that helps you like dominate games. So between not having great weapons or a great one weapon, wide receiver one, and not having a good offense line the entire time, the argument is, what would he be if he had all that? And so that's still open-ended. We don't know. I, Nick and I, we don't believe that he would be a great quarterback if he had all that, but we don't know for sure. That's the argument on the other side. And I think it's fair for all those who believe that he can be an amazing player if he got better O-line receivers. They can say that. And it and could be in the same camp as up as us as open-ended. We don't know. We really don't know. It's our speculation and our prognostication, Nick and I, and our projection based on the tape that he wouldn't be, but we don't know for sure. So that's the other side of it. And that's what John Mara's case is. Let's give him that. And then we'll see if we, what we have with Jones. Um, but the other point is it's twofold. The other part is it's hard to get a quarterback. This is the other part of it. Like there's no immediate solutions. If it was so easy to replace Jones. Trust me, it would have been done before the 2022 season, right when Shane and Dable got here, based on what they had seen, because obviously they didn't pick up the fifth-year option. They would have just replaced him right away if in the NFL you could just upgrade like that, but you can't. And people knock the Steelers, Nick, and I think it's so funny because people keep knocking the Steelers. Oh, look at them. They're like the Giants. They really are just saying, you know, the the old man organization, the, the Roonies, the Maras, they stick with these guys. Kenny Pickett, whatever it would be, but they have tried to upgrade. They used the first round pick on Kenny Pickett and they used a free agent contract on Mitch Trubisky at the time when Mitch Trubisky was coming off his rookie deal. After formally being a top five pick, those are big investments to try to improve quarterback. And what's happened? They went nowhere with them. Both failed. And that's how hard it is to upgrade. So you can try, but you might not get there. And so right now, I just feel like the Giants are in a position of twofold. One, they believe they want to see what Daniel Jones has, if they can give him a solid O-line at the very least, and and some weapons. Uh, And then two, you know, there's not many other options, especially when you're picking outside of the top three of this draft like they are. It's one of the reasons why, I hate to say it, but you know this is one of the reasons why people that didn't necessarily want them to win those games after Jones got hurt because they wanted to just have a chance to draft the top quarterback talent, and I don't fully blame them for that personally.
1: All righty, so we have two questions from Logan Salzman and Ash, which is at my Jarez Fort. I don't, I'm probably butchering that, but they're both uh, why do we suck so bad and why are the Giants mid? So those are the two questions, Dan. And you know what? I think Dan actually did an excellent job just laying out one of the primary reasons why those two things are true. And it's just you don't have that consistent quarterback in-house right now. And the infrastructure around that quarterback position is also kind of dilapidated.
2: Well, I think that's one of the reasons, but I think it is fair for others who say it's not the only reason the quarterback is the only part of the team. And I agree with you. And I think you're right, because it's not the only reason you want to look into other reasons why the Giants are so bad or so mid right now. One is they had one of the worst GMs in the history of the sport. Essentially, if you ask people outside who's that, Dave Gettleman, you ask anyone outside the organization, they all agree. People inside might, might agree, might disagree. But they had him run the team for four years. And before that, they had Jerry Reese who really struggled during the final three, four, five years of his tenure, really didn't have a single good draft class except for 07 Jerry Reese and didn't address the offensive line at any point in free agency, even though he had opportunities like Andrew Whitworth when they needed him in 2017. So you had eight, nine, 10 years in a row of just really bad general management. You've had really bad offensive line coaches in here who haven't been able to develop the offensive line talent. So that's a combination now, bad GM, bad offensive line coaches. You've also had just injuries crazy amount of injuries versus the rest of the nfl you can say whatever reason it is some people blame the metlife stadium turf whatever it is but probably most of that is luck some people might blame the giants trainer staff probably mostly that is luck that very bad special teams coaches and special team seasons ahead of these guys so there are a lot more factors than just the quarterback there really are for why the Giants have been so bad in mid for the last 10 years. And it's not mid, to be honest with you, Ash. They've been downright awful. They have the worst record of any NFC team over the last five years. And back to 10, you go back to the 2011 Super Bowl, it's in that ranking, bottom three in the NFL record in the NFC. So they've been bad, not mid, but I think there's more factors, just the quarterback. I outlined four of them that came to the top of my head, but I think you can go even deeper than that if you wanted to.
1: I like when you say mid. It's funny. Yeah.
2: All right. That's all right. All the questions Actually, we
1: have. no. I wanna I wanna read um I wanna yeah. read our good friend Russell Brown. Oh, one. Nice. I didn't okay. See that Okay. So, long time listener, first time caller. Russ has been on the yeah. podcast. Big draft guy. Big Detroit Lions fan. Go follow him on Twitter. I believe it's a uh, Russell Brown NFL or with a little downslash thing. With the changes made to the New York Giants defense, Shane Bowen coming in. Who are the three defensive prospects in the draft that fit their defense? And I like this, and I'm not fully. Into the, I'm not fully, you know, I don't have a full comprehensive look at the NFL draft quite yet, but I still know there are defensive players that I watched on Saturday and some that I've already watched their tape of that I really do appreciate. And I think some of the positions that we need to focus on is edge rusher. And it's also cornerback. And I do like Jared verse from Florida state. I don't know if the giants are going to have an opportunity to get this guy. He's probably going to go in like the teens, but I think the giants with Shane Bowen, they need an edge rusher who can threaten high side, but also Mm -hmm. has the speed to power elements. And that is Jared verse. Jared verse has cinder blocks attached to each of his arms. And he uses those cinder blocks to physically abuse offensive tackles. And he has enough bend to win through the high side. And we know based on what we saw from the Tennessee Titans defense, Shane Bowen likes to use a lot of these wide nine rushers to give those advantageous angles for those high side rushers. And I think Burst can have success with that. I also think Latu can have success with that because that guy's just an absolute craftsman with how he employs his pass rushing ability. He's just not necessarily the most physical guy that we want. And I don't know if that's going to necessarily fit with the Giants since the New York Giants have Aziz O'Jolari, who is kind of similar to that, but also Latu has a crap load of concerns with the neck injury that held him out of football for a couple years. But I also want to focus on the cornerback position, right? And I don't know which cornerback I love more or most. Some of these guys I haven't seen too much of other than just watching on Saturday between Cooper Dejean from Iowa, Tyrion Arnold from Alabama, and then Kenyon Mitchell, who I have watched from Toledo. I really love his game. I haven't seen any of Nate Wiggins yet, but I've heard very good things. He is the Clemson cornerback. And then you have the defensive tackle if the Giants want to pair somebody with Dexter Lawrence, I really do like Byron Murphy from Texas, but mm-hmm. I just think he's going to be a first round pick and the Giants yeah. aren't going to spend the first round pick on someone like that. So no. if I had to, if I had to nail down three, three of those guys, I'm probably not going to come up with three, but I want to look at that edge position. I want to look at the cornerback and then I wouldn't mind finding a defensive tackle. I wouldn't mind finding another safety. I hope the Giants do resign Xavier McKinney and retain Xavier McKinney. But if they don't, they're really going to need to look at the safety position, Dan. So what are your thoughts on all that?
2: Yeah, I think you nailed it as far as like the overall thoughts. It's a great question, Russell, and thank you for sending us in a question. Uh, Love having you on the show. We're going to have you back on this offseason. I I think we already talked a little bit about that offline. But it's definitely a better question for me, at least, uh, as we get closer to March because – right now, or I should, should say closer to mid-March, because right now I'm coming off a two-week vacation, <laughs> some time off, and it's just been hard for me to get deep into the prospects, and I know you feel the same way, Nick. I have an overall view, view and opinion on some of these guys, but nothing definitive, but I will say this with regards to the last thing you said specifically. The two that stand out to me are finding that edge for this system that fits what you said, that why not, that ability to rush the arc, but also finding safety who can play in multiple coverages and have a lot of responsibilities post-snap from a rotation standpoint that you know Shane Bowen's going to ask him to do, even if They signed McKinney. I want to get a player like that in the mix here. Um, So those are the two that really stand out to me. Obviously, from a need standpoint, the Giants are going to have to find a corner who fits this system. And I think they're going to play less man than they used to play. So kind of a corner with the ability to do both
1: yeah a lot of the a lot of the man coverage it's going to be a lot of match so it turns into man coverage eventually anyways right. but you just need to understand your rules and and, and know what the yep. the offense is running according to their their routes and after they release off the line of scrimmage know where to be so it takes a little bit of processing and as we saw deandre baker when he entered a similar type of system with uh, james petcher it didn't go all that well so you, you need to have that dialed in as a corner
2: exactly all right, that's all the time we have for on the Big Blue Banter mailbag. Thank you again for tuning in. We hope you had a good time. Uh more content coming soon as I get back into the mic, the right mic setup with the mixer, which I'm excited for as well, Nick. Um Nick looks like he's in uh the, the cold front over there in like the, the middle of the cold war. He's got a hoodie on, he's got a beanie on. I'm just dealing with some nice I don't know why I said that. Dealing with some nice weather out here, which is which is always nice. But um we'll talk to you guys soon. Have a great rest of your week and
0: goodbye.